the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Well, hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees, and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. Nakaya Seeds is back to talk about the creative process as we grow and change and how our relationship to identities and names and labels change over time and what she does when she's blocked or in a creative drought. We didn't talk about it in this session, but I am excited to share with you that Nakaya has accepted my invitation to present at my Witches New Year event this year. I usually host a one to three day event and usually I'm doing all of the teaching and facilitation and ritual craft and all of that. But this year, because Samhain, which is New Year, Halloween, uh, coincides with the launch of my new cookbook, The Spirited Kitchen, I am experiencing my own challenges with creativity and self-expression, feelings of vulnerability, feeling exposed, ready to be criticized, critiqued, raked for something. So I'm dosing the field with all my creative colleagues, my trusted friends, my allies who I admire for their brave forays into visibility and professional risk-taking and expansion. So I am learning from them alongside you, dear listener, and I am gaining strength and confidence um, as I look ahead to October 31st when my book will be in stores and, um, yeah, wanting to hang with people who I know um, understand what it's like to put something out into the world and uh, hope people like it or hope people come to your party. (laughs) So let's get cozy and jam with Nakaya Seeds and hear how she grapples with the creative process. Welcome back for the third time on the Numinous Podcast, Nakaya. We're going to have a little spin on the opening question today. So what identities fit with your creative self? In other words, tell us who you are through the things you create. Oh, you always have the best questions, Carmen. <laughs> Your questions are creative in and of themselves. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh, what an interesting question, too. Well, a new creative thing, I I mean, new, not new, uh, is to lead with an identity of myself that is is a weaver. Exciting. I've been tossing around uh, because of because of the long story of my my intro into weaving because it's been so deeply ancestral i like this idea of mythological or ancestral weaver there's something that just feels really kind of deeper and magical about mm. throwing those those words in there i guess wow so you're a weaver i also know that you're a drum maker yeah yeah you're a space holder there are more things you create. It's true. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, the drum making is another really big, beautiful area that um, I've been doing for well over a decade now, creating sacred drums for folks and red drums. There's a whole contingency of my work that's about based in the red drum and the divine feminine. And um, yeah, I paint, too. I, I do all sorts of creative things. I think creativity in some ways is the 
the soul and essence of my spiritual practice. It's kind of infused into everything I do. In fact, I'm building a new website right now and my web designer's like, everything you write is poetry, but, but, you know, goddess love you, but you need to say what you do rather than like spin poetry because she's just like, that's really beautiful. But what do you do, woman? (laughs) That's a very, like, like a a very common problem for a lot of witches, especially one who has such a um, long time practice. You've been a witch for so long. I don't know if you would identify as witch though. What's your relationship to the term witch? Are there particular aspects of that word that you would embrace or reject as an identity? Absolutely. I'm a witch. I've identified as one since I was a small child. (laughs) I grew up with a cauldron, if you can imagine, the proper kind. It was (gasps) huge in my backyard as a small child. And we had lots of gardens. We lived on a kind of a hobby goat farm from age zero to nine. And uh, this cauldron was my whole world. I would throw veggies in there, like whatever came out of the garden. And the cats sometimes ended up in there, you know. (laughs) I wanted to be a witch from the time I was very small. And of course, that identity and word has changed for me as I have changed and grown evolved over the years. There's been times when I've been front and center with it and other times where it's just, I feel like now, and you know, this sort of speaks to my midlife time. It's just, it's like, mm, just sunken in. It's Mm. just who I am Mm. as opposed to needing to be, I don't need it as a label the way I used it maybe in the past. Mm. Yeah. Just feels like an essence of who I am at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. As you know, as you get older, there are more opportunities to evolve and change and and reject things that we used to embrace, and that can be a pretty um, scary developmental task, I think, is to have something as an identity and then shed it. <laughs> because, yes. it's, you know, it, in a capitalist, imperialist, wise premises, patriarchal society where we're supposed to be perfect and we're supposed to have our shit together all the time, it's like taboo to say, oh, I used to think that way and now I think differently. Or I used to believe that or I used to lead with that identity and um, now I have changed and I'm doing this. Do you do you find at this time in your life there there are more and more things that you are shedding or changing, or do you feel like you're like okay, I think I've got it now? <laughs> <laughs> I, for my, I'll speak for myself. I think if I ever th- think that I've got it, I will not be growing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm constantly evolving and shedding and changing. And, you know, and I think about the evolution of, of my work and over the last, say, 10 years or more, you know, I think the very first shedding way, 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 way back, you know, many, many years ago now is shamanic practitioner. Right. And there's a whole bunch of patriarchal capitalistic, you know, <laughs> racist reasons why using the word sh- shamanic is, is, problematic. So I, I shifted out of that a long time ago, but, you know, which, and I think about, um, you know, our conversation around that, I feel like with which in particular, it's not been so much a statement that's needed to be made. Like I'm no longer <laughs> using this word or I am, or, um, so much as, you know, when I got rid of using shamanic practitioner, but, 
um, now I think about the newest evolution in my pathway, which is, you know, I've been using the word very publicly priestess as a part of my offerings for a long time now. And uh, that's recently shifted. Um, You're not as comfortable last, with that anymore? I'd say over the last couple of years, you know, there's lots of reasons for it, but I've become increasingly more uncomfortable with it as I see how it's been used in mainstream new age communities. And, you know, I don't want to speak too much to that. There's not, there's not judgment there towards what other folks want to do with that word, but I've been coming more and more increasingly uncomfortable with it. And mm. I think in some ways I feel like it's for me, I'll speak for myself here, uh, linked to, to white feminism. Mm. You know, I just think about a lot of like, I'm trying. Yeah, like yeah. I, I get I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you. It's like you don't really even need to name anything or any um, uh, trend or or accounts or anything like that specifically. Uh, but there there are a lot of problems, particularly in the rise of fascism and eco fascism, etc. Um, these things that. Uh, orient towards a particular purity culture. Like, I think I'm mm -hmm. feeling you with like, yeah, a priestess gets picked up and um, is pretty easily um, marketed and packaged to a thin, white, younger woman um, who is like, quote unquote, in her power. And, um, you know, a lot of times that that context is really harmful and um, perpetuates a lot of things exactly. we're not about, right? So I feel that. I feel that, Nakaya, that, that sometimes it's not even so much the language itself. It's the culture or the subculture that grows up around it that you're just like, yeah, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you. I was trying to be uh, diplomatic there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like struggling. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel it. Mm -hmm. There's a whole piece around um, labels as well. And, you know, one of the things I've been really working on with my own offerings is uh, what would you, you know, how do, how do we each self, you know, kind of almost returning to your first question, which is how, what, you know, how do you self-identify? And mm -hmm. so the, the offering, you know, when I realized that I could just take the word priestess out and that actually it's all about shadow work and archetypal mm -hmm. work. And, you know, I really took a look at the body of the work. I realized mm -hmm. the priestess was just this word that was kind of placeholding. And if I took mm -hmm. it out, it still stood on its own as mm -hmm. a piece of work. And in fact, anyways, now I'm talking about my, but the body of my work and labels, but, um, it's maybe not classically priestess anyway. So I, 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 you know, I'm excited to be allowing folks that come into the school to choose how mm. they want to be labeled upon initiation, if they want that at all. Mm. If they want to be a priestess, great. That'll go mm -hmm. on their certificate. If they want to be a witch, great. That'll go mm. on the certificate. Mm. Um, I don't care how people self-identify. It's mm -hmm. just kind of a label. So it's mm. exciting to me to remove all of that mm -hmm. and allow people to evolve into their own sacred path in their own authentic way. I love it. I love it. When I went to cooking school, they gave us um, principles and techniques, and then they would give us lists of ingredients, but they didn't work off quote unquote recipes. 
So Mm. I see some parallels there. It's like you're giving them principles and some techniques and like, here's your materia magica or here are the things (laughs) you might work with, but you get to come up with what your recipe is going to be and you can call it what you want to call it. That's what I'm hearing you say. Oh, and I know you get it because I've heard you talk about your way of cooking and you're, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, and I think about your new book coming out and, you know, I'm excited to see that formula you know, represent it like, yeah, how, yeah. How do you want to make this recipe? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to call this festival? What, you know, what's resonating from, from your ancestral practices or from where you are in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. We're moving towards the intergenerational spaces talk because I can see in here that something's <laughs> happening to you physically. Are you having a moment? I'm having a hot flash. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. yeah. And do you feel like we can work through it or do you oh, like yeah, to pause yeah, for absolutely. them? No, okay. no, no. I'm, I'm used to working through it. I usually have a pretty little fan beside me, but right now I'm using a bill. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're just, <laughs> you're just you're keeping it real. Yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So last time we were on the show, we were talking about perimenopause and menopause. And through that conversation, we, we were touching on the lack of intergenerational spaces um, for new and then more experienced witches to come together and to exchange wisdom. Um, and I, you know, of course, I've heard about different kinds of witch gatherings and different kinds of, I mean, for an umbrella term, let's say conferences, gatherings, in-person um, camps, that kind of thing. And um, I, I definitely see a lot of value in creating those spaces, uh, but, but it is pretty challenging to keep the intergenerational transmission alive. And I haven't come up with any kind of, um, you know, big thoughts since then, but I'm curious, what's still alive for you, what remains alive from our last conversation? What, what's still percolating for you around that? Mm, yeah. yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking about how my daughter, so she's going to be 20 this month. And uh, when she was between 10 and 12, she came with me to every red tent and she wanted to be around the women, you know, like she was so into it. And I think about the benefit that she got from, you know, showing up and overhearing all those conversations and witnessing women crying and being authentic and just being themselves. Um, But there was a moment where she needed to individuate at 13, right? She kind of needed to go her own way. So she was no longer happy to be the poster child of a witch. Like, (laughs) super done with it. By the time she actually, you know, started bleeding, she was like, no period party. Like she wanted nothing to do with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So how that kind of weaves back in is there's, there's a time where I think all of us, we kind of start to, we, we need to go away and then we, we kind of come back to it. Right. So there's this mm-hmm. ebb and flow of needing to individuate and then we kind of come back. And I almost see that too, when we're in our twenties and thirties, there's like this big individuation that happens. We're kind of building our own thing. We're figuring ourselves out with our careers. And so depending on, you know, of course the communities we're around, we're not necessarily, having opportunity to spend time with women that are older or younger than ourselves for a time, Mm -hmm. whether we're child rearing or we're building our careers or whatever it is that we're raising, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we start to want to come back Mm -hmm. and we come back to 
something within ourselves becomes yearning and longing, begins to yearn and long for older, wiser women and to be around them. And at the same time, we ourselves have become older and wiser and we can offer that back. So I don't know if there's any good answers. When you start to get into the practicalities of community and how broken that is right now, mm-hmm. um, I think conversations like what we're having are really important. And it seems like even for myself, when I hear these conversations happening or I read them in books, it it enlivens something. It, it sparks mm-hmm. something in me and then I start to yearn and long for it. And I want to hear the conversations. I want to mm-hmm. like, what's your opinion on that? What do you think about that? What's your experience with that? You know? And so, I mean, maybe we really just need to be having conversations about what it looks like, how it can be, why it's important. Totally. I think we also need to tell them, these elders in our community, mm. how much we love and admire and like adore them, even if they're mm. strangers. I I have a really wonderful therapist who has, I, you know, I clearly have a type because my last <laughs> few mentors have been like women with silver hair and very gentle voices and that sort of thing. So- I, she has, um, it's kind of like halfway between like group therapy and peer supervision. So we're all um, caregivers, let's say, uh, in that larger umbrella. And, um, but some are retired. And so every week I have my peer supervision and um, there's my therapist with her silver hair and there's another participant who's 71. And when I was in the introduction piece and said, I am so excited that there are two women with silver hair in this group, you know, they, they both expressed being surprised and delighted and moved and, and a little taken aback because Mm. so much of their life had been you know, caregiving and then like people going off and leaving them and, you know, and sort of like, and now here I am, it's time for them to come back too, to continue their self-actualization and not having people to witness and, and love and need them just for them, not for what they can do for us, but just like, I need you in my life because I don't have a life populated with aunties and grandmothers Mm. and, you know, like mothers and friends, mothers, that kind of thing. And so letting them know, you you know, you are needed here just for who you are, not, Mm. not what you're doing, not, not whatever, you know, um, skills you've developed or business you built or whatever it was. Like, I don't need you to do my laundry. I just need (laughs) you to be here seeing me and the quality of their looking, the quality of their seeing of me is so, like healing for me. It's so good. I Maybe I'm just lucky because I got some good ones. But I mean, I think that's what we have to do. It's like dating. It's like you find somebody yeah. really good. You're like, oh my gosh, you are so fabulous. And so I just, you know, and, and what was striking is that every other woman who's my age, um, I, well, I guess others are my age or, or like similar age. So our, uh, we have kids that have just graduated and um, some have younger kids, but in that um, working mother period, uh, each of them said the same thing. Like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm here 
I'm here for the silver hair and the, the wisdom and the experience and to hear what it's like on the other side of this and, um, and to be seen through kind, compassionate eyes that maybe, you know, we didn't have. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it is almost like approaching elders as though you're dating and wooing them. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I think it's it's a beautiful way to go. And I think, yeah, like you said, having them know that they're important mm-hmm. is everything. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, and for, certainly from what I've heard of from my few dear, dear friends that are, um, you know, in their 60s, 70s and forward is there's sadly in our culture, a lack of appreciation for women, almost like once we to turn 50, you know, mm-hmm. depending on where we live and who we are, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, we just start to become invisible. Right. Unless and, we look amazing for our age or something well, exactly. like that, right? And it's like, <laughs> totally. unless we look younger than 50. And it's like, oh my God, no, give me yeah. thin lips and sagging jowls and boobs on my belly. Yeah. I want that sense of, you know, earthiness, right? So mm. yeah, I think that invisibility is a real thing too. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you about, because I, I, can see also a parallel here with our creativity. So maybe we're in a a part of our life in midlife where we're generative, but we're generative towards um, things that keep us financially secure or, or, you know, we're generative on our kids' behalf or we're generative on, you know, some other behalf, our community's behalf. We're doing all this stuff and, and all this output that kind of it's, it feels like it's always for some like, quote unquote, good reason. And I'm curious about creating for creativity itself or creating um, as a channel for something greater to come through or being creative um, as, as a co-creation with greater forces. So is there a time maybe a lunation or maybe a season when you feel like you are your most creative in that kind of sense, the pure sense, not necessarily like I do that too, where I really get creative on my website (laughs) or like social (laughs) or something. I like love social media, but just creativity from that other kind of more spiritual place where it's channeling something through that maybe you don't know what it's for. Is there a time or space that you can be in where that seems to flow most easily? Mm, right now, the autumn. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite season. And for whatever reason, I can just, I know it's going to start flowing through. It's, mm-hmm. it's the minute the weather starts to change. It's such a time of deep creativity for me. Um, and the few times that the autumn is hit and I haven't had that type of creative flow, it's actually been quite hard on me. <laughs> you know, so I ca- I've come to expect that, you know, come autumn, I'm going to be in this time of deep creativity, probably, yeah, right up until the the, the winter solstice, you know? Yeah. Then it starts totally, to change again. This is the first time I've ever heard anybody say anything like that. And it's almost like, oh my gosh, I asked you a question I was dying to ask myself, I guess, because Oh my gosh, I've never even thought of that before. Yes, I also feel so creative and right through until probably New Year for me. Certainly at solstice is one of my most creative times. And I've never really thought about that before as like, yep, my my pure joy, 
my pure sense of like collaborating with the larger forces comes through. What are the particular things that have been coming through you? What do you make? What do you create? Mm. Well, yeah, I guess it's different every year. You know, obviously right now I'm doing a lot of weaving mm-hmm. and um I'm building a new website. So, you know, I've got a bunch of, I always, I always talk, my, my favorite metaphor is the cauldron, right? So I've got a lot of potions happening in the cauldron <laughs> right now and right. stirring the cauldron up. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's um, just coming through and it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think also running alongside that, and I don't know if, you know, anyone else listening out there can relate to this but so there's there's the creativity of our work or however that wants to manifest you know some people are creative with their their householding or whatever you know we all have our little areas and then running alongside that is always this um whether I'm doing healing work because I'm always 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 trying to (laughs) heal stuff um and then, of course, right now, of course, one of my favorite things to talk about is this midlife thing I'm in. So I'm just going into my third year as an empty nester. And uh, there's this huge transformation that's happening in body and spirit right now. And it's informing all of my creative projects, mm-hmm. right? So trying to count on something being one thing is hilarious because it is not turning out to be that way. And, you know, it's just, it's just, um, kind of like a a hot flash or a hot flash. Mm -hmm. It's kind of riding me a little bit or, and then I'm trying to ride it. Like I'm kind of just, you know, it's like sometimes I'm on the surfboard and sometimes I'm under the surfboard, you know, like you just never know what the day is going to bring. Yeah. Well, that seems like a really good, important lesson. It probably helps heal a lot of things. It's just like the thing that I'm trying to create may not look or seem at all like what I'm intending. It could be a totally different thing. Um, you know, I'm thinking also about, you mentioned some people are really creative around householding and it's like, oh yeah, that's when I want to bake, right? Like it's not so hot as it was in the summer. I want to bake things. I want to make roast meats. I want to like, yeah, I want to get back to those things that, um, are like pretty earthy for me, very, very Mm. tactile with my hands. Um, So I can really relate also to that, that need to, or at least I guess what I would say is I may not relate to it yet, but I see it as a very important lesson for me. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) and maybe also it's not always going to go the way you want it to, or life won't allow the same kind of thing. So it's good to like be in flow. Release well, the need for it to be a certain way. It's the spiritual practice, right? Because we're it's our witchery. Mm. <laughs> and I, I think about, yeah, the season changing and how we're showing up in the summer. We're outward. You know, we're mm. in the garden. We're doing all these things. And then slowly we're bringing all of our garden into the house and we're harvesting. Mm. And then we're in the house. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different time of flow and creativity. And for me, that's my spiritual it's, that's my animistic way. That's my connection to all things I know you share with me. And, uh, you know, when you talk about roasting meats and making soups and yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm so there for that. You know? <laughs> totally. I'm so excited for your cookbook for that reason. Thank um, you. you know, there's just, yeah, we could just talk all day about it over many <laughs> cups of tea. You know, the thing that's at odds with my animism and bringing the garden in is I, I, I do, create best when things are clean and tidy and I can't fucking keep it clean or tidy. It's literally, it just, oh, Nakaya, it's like such a challenge for me to kind of like ride that kind of wave of the need for there to be 
like clearness so that I can have be a clear channel but then at the same time it just becomes this like beautiful chaos and and then I'm just too tired to clean up after people who think that I have like this kind of pristine kind of life because I love Martha Stewart or like would be <laughs> it's a rude awakening to see the detritus of my life everywhere I what yeah. what are some of the obstacles or like the the challenges that you find when you want to be creative but like what comes up for you that can be a block to that Mm, yeah oh I just physically emotionally spiritually like you know right on all areas whether just depending on what the day brings I think about um I make messes. I'm like little fires everywhere. I make messes all over my house, right? In the kitchen, you know, I'm like making, I was making witches candles a couple of days ago and there were seeds falling out of my mug, uh, my mullen stalks. And so just, I can't even tell you, right? You know about this. So, you know, and then you have to clean that up in order to make the next mess. Like I wanted to make some banana bread, but I had to clean up the wax and like, yeah, it's just the cascading. If I could just have someone to follow me around and clean up my messes so that I could do my next creative project would be great. I have a very patient husband. Mm -hmm. Um, But even he's like, please, please, you know, he's like, how is it that you use every room in the entire house? (laughs) Like we, you have an office and you have like a studio where you're supposed to do your stuff. You know, somehow I end up in the kitchen, living room, you know, yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel that. You you mentioned earlier too about how like and sometimes the creativity just doesn't come. Mm-hmm. And and like here you were looking forward to it or you're making space for it and then it doesn't come and that that's really painful. Like can you can you share a little bit more about that? What how do you cope with that? What do you do? Mhm. I think I remember the first time it happened in earnest where I was, I struggled, I, you know, and I don't take much lying down. (laughs) I'm an impatient woman. So I remember the first time I was like, okay, this is my time. Now I've got these things in my mind. I thought that I would just start to feel creative about, and it wasn't happening. And I was pushing up against it and it wasn't pretty. Like I was essentially like a three-year-old having a temper tantrum. And uh, this was many, many years ago now. I remember a, a dear friend of mine sort of just said, you know, she just made this comment. She was probably one of my older friends because, you know, they have such wisdom. Mm-hmm. She just said, you know, something to the essence of, you know, being in this society, we, we kind of expect ourselves to always be in the summer of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Doing, 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 making, creating. And it's not always that way. And this was the first kind of moment I realized that particularly in the winter time, I actually was having a flow and actually needed to rest. And that was mm. a really powerful realization to, to sort of start to notice um, the flow of seasons and how it affected my body. And mm-hmm. this is something I started just recently in my new updates wove into the mystery school around the seasons and the change in light, how it affects everything, right? So we start to take a look at what's happening in our inner world and then our outer world. And we take a look at what's happening with the season and the lack of light. And this is why we're not feeling so creative or whatever. And so that was my first lesson, kind of go around the, spin around the moon. And then the next time this came up in a really big, profound way, I was able to sort of understand more about, okay, so yeah, we can take to the season into account, but 
there was, I was putting a lot of shame and pressure on myself. So there was this mm. next layer of the onion down. And I realized, of course, 20 years plus of being an entrepreneur, we get into this mode of productivity. And that's mm-hmm. to do with the, you know, I, I love how you put it very quickly, the breakdown of the patriarchal capitalist, you know, <laughs> overculture yeah. that's like, you know, yeah. crumbling at, at our feet um, in collapse right now. And this is the you know, this is the overculture of of white supremacy that tells us we're constantly needing to be productive and in the summertime of our mm-hmm. lives. And so to learn to slow that down was mm-hmm. another really big lesson that's more recently learned for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because truth be told, I would get very depressed. Mm-hmm. And it would be a bit of a shame spiral about mm-hmm. You know, because my productivity or my business is so linked with my creativity, it's they're mm-hmm. kind of interwoven mm-hmm. along with my spiritual practice, along with who I am. And there's just mm-hmm. a lot caught up there in my identity. Mm-hmm. To not be creative for mm-hmm. any period of time was devastating. Mm. Is Was that like the scariest part of the creative mm. process for you was, was being creatively blocked or in a drought? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, nothing I was doing was really helping. Mm. In fact, in some ways it was making it worse because I ended up getting into a shame spiral about it, you know, Mm. and uh, it was really tough to try and navigate that. Mm. Um, And I had to, I had to bring it into my spiritual practice was what essentially I had to do. And essentially Mm. it's just about radical acceptance and just sort of accepting that this was the way it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love how um, Elizabeth Gilbert, in her book, uh, Big Magic, she talks about the muse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the muse wants to come and play with us and, and you know, it's like if we don't kind of go, oh, okay, I'll play, they kind of move on. Mm-hmm. And it just was, I it was like, I think the muse is actually just bypassing my house. Like she's not, <laughs> where the hell is she? She's not showing up. The neighbor must look much more interesting than me because she's not playing. Mm-hmm. So. so you just waited it out? I trusted that there was a reason for it. Mm. And that was the biggest help for me. And mm. I trusted that I needed to rest. And, mm. you know, I actually had a big one during COVID, like a, a almost a year long. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I had moved and there was lots of things kind of going on and that it just went away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm. I had to just um, let that go. Mm. Yeah. And so what are you creating now or next? Ah, well, I guess those, with the launch of my new website, you know, I've got a new program coming up around ancestral work, which has really been an important part of, also an important part of my offerings over the last um, decade or so, uh, becoming more and more prominent in my work as I go. So I'm just creating a new thing around that. It feels really creative. And I've been doing a lot of painting with soil. And uh, that's a whole other conversation we could probably get into over a cup of tea. But Mm. um, yeah, over the last few years, I've been collecting um, soils from all these different places that I visit, maybe six or seven years now. And um, I learned to make paint out of them. And so I've been... um, using soil and ochre to grind it down and make paint and then painting with it as a, I guess, a part of my spiritual practice. It's been really deeply, powerfully, creatively satisfying. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you one last question about like the creative process? You talked about the muse that 
per Elizabeth Gilbert, right? The muses right. come. Is there any deity or muse or ally that guides you or kind of presses on you to create right now? Hmm. That's a good question. It's definitely ancestral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My, my ancestors are, they give me a lot of work to do creatively. <laughs> so in fact, just this morning I'm, I'm tasked with a new rattle. So, you know, it's always it's, something. <laughs> it's always something. Yeah. Uh, well, it's always lovely to have you come on the show, Nakaya. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing your journey with creativity with us. I'm really looking forward to journeying with you at Witch's New Year. And mm-hmm. um, I'll talk more about that in um, uh, our show notes, etc. But I'm, I'm super, super excited to be transitioning from fall into winter with you this year. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's just always such an enlivening conversation with you. (laughs) When you get your copy of The Spirited Kitchen and you open to the Samhain chapter, the first chapter in the book, you will see this beautiful photo by my friend Stephanie Ray Hull of Centric Photography. (laughs) You'll see me on my front stoop wearing this beautiful gray shawl. And it's one of Nakaya's first sacred prayer cloaks that came off her loom. And she had me create a vision board of the area of the Scottish Highlands that my ancestors are from to help develop the color palette. And she wove horsehair, one of my family's ancestral relationships, into the shawl. And she sourced wools from the highlands, dyed with plants from there. It's just, it was such a gorgeous process. And it's just one of the most special pieces I own. And I use it both for ceremonial purposes and also as a comfort item in my everyday. I just love it so much. It's so magical. You should ask for one for your next major birthday because it's just so powerful. So Nakaya has a new website coming soon, my friends. You want to get on her newsletter to know when her Sacred Path Apprenticeship is open for registration. When you go to the numinouspodcast.com and get all the links, you'll find all the links to her site and newsletter sign up and her social accounts in the show notes, numinouspodcast.com, one-stop shop for all that. And um, you'll want to come to Witches New Year because... I asked Nakaya if she would lead a bear woman journey. And so she's going to work with the energy of bear and also Ursa Major so that we can look at our lives from a different perspective and prepare for the dream time of winter. So it's going to be so good. So stay tuned. Follow me on social or go to my website for more information about Witches New Year. The listener shout out today. I want to say hello to all the witches, particularly the ones who are shopkeepers in Salem, Massachusetts. I want to say I see you ordering cases of the Spirited Kitchen in time for Samhain, and I am so, so, so thankful. So please tag me in your posts so I can share them and amplify your accounts and your beautiful shops and your gorgeous, gorgeous wares. Blessings of the season to you all. And finally, listeners, remember that The Spirited Kitchen is available for pre-order online or from your local independent bookseller. Just ask them to bring it in and then bring your receipt back to my website to receive your instant bonus downloads. Just go to the cookbook tab at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care. <laughs>